Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Pejman Gadimi. And he is a self-made entrepreneur and best-selling book author born in 1982 in the middle of the revolution in Iran. He was raised in France for the majority of his childhood and eventually migrated to the United States in 1997. Raised by a single mom, his entire life with very limited resources, Pejman quickly adapted to the idea of being resourceful. So due to lack of finances and inability to go to college due to family obligations, Pejman chose to start working from a young age. And focused his efforts on banking, where he built a name for himself very quickly, climbing the ladder all the way to the VP level in a short span of four years, all without any type of formal education or formalized training. Fast forward three years, Pejman left banking with a significant amount of experience and an incredible salary history and real estate portfolio to die for, which was later leveraged to found in three major businesses. One is the VIP Modern, two is Secret Consultant, and Secret Entourage which collectively has grossed over $40 million in revenue. So I'm really, really excited to have Pejman here because not only are we going to dive into his multicultural background, but we're going to dive into the lessons that he's learned from just making do with the lack of resources he initially had. And also, I'd love to hear his thoughts on uh, leadership skills and uh, entrepreneurship uh, mindset that we all can work on. Welcome to the show, Pejman. I appreciate you having me on. And just so we're just so we're on the same page, the my companies generate uh, over fifty million dollars in revenue per year, not collectively. Oh, okay. Well, then excuse me, <laughs> Pejman. Forgive me for shortchanging you by over hundred million dollars. <laughs> so now that now that we have that clear, um, how about you? You give us a little glimpse into your story. I'm very fascinated by the idea of. You being born in the middle of a revolution in Iran and then moving to France, you know, what led to that? Uh, I always love hearing stories like that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't have much of a choice, obviously, being born, you're young, you know, you're not really in control of your circumstance, right? right. You, you just have, uh, you ultimately have just parents that kind of make decisions based on what's best for you. And at the time, I had a single, you know, I had a mother and a father, but both were in Iran. My mom was fairly well off in Iran. But unfortunately, her position in Iran was tied to the government, which was being overthrown. And so we were forced to flee the country as refugees and ended up in France uh, because they had pretty much closed off the doors to come to the States for any Iranians anyways. And then uh, we ended up in France where she built uh, quite a, a very nice business over the course of 10 years. Nothing uh, money related, just uh, she had a Kinko store, which was similar to like digital imaging at the time, you know, for uh, photos and for photography and for uh, visual copies, etc. And so she did that and, and built that starting from zero again with no money because all, all of her assets were frozen in Iran and ended up building us enough of a life to be able to pretty much have shelter and basically a car, right? Like that was the extent of the luxury we got to enjoy. And when she got one opportunity to flee and come to the U.S., and not flee, but just kind of like leave things and just immediately start over in the U.S., even though it was going to cost her everything she had built again, she took that leap of faith once more, and we ended up uh, once more broke, but now in the United States in L.A. Uh, we again found ourselves uh, faced with more adversity in L.A., where we tried to make ends meet without having the green card and without having correct papers to work and be part of a society at that point. But nonetheless, we were in America, and that was all that mattered. Uh, we struggled for a, a couple of years with a failed restaurant, which was a failed coffee house that just did really poorly. And when I say we, I mean, my mom failed, you know, I was still a child at this point, but, uh, I mean, it was, it was bad to the point that it just sank every last penny she had whatever she had left is just pretty much left with it. And, uh, we were back again, poor. And this time we took a trip to Virginia where in Virginia, my mom became a cashier, uh, for my uncle who owned the restaurant. But at that point it was pretty much the lore and she had no energy left. It was multiple businesses later, but at the very least we had social security cards. So the extent of her journey and all her struggles got us to the place where at least I had a social security number, even though it's not valid for work. And at the very least I was now in Northern Virginia and I was able to go to school. And so that was kind of like the beginning of this idea that, you know, life wasn't going to be easy. And at no point was there any type of uh, kind of outlook of having a luxurious lifestyle or anything that comes with it anywhere in my uh, destiny, if you know what I mean. That's uh, that's that's fascinating. And kudos to to you and your mom for pulling that through. One of the things that I'm I'm fascinated with with uh, talking to entrepreneurs like yourself is, I think there's something that happens at a very young age where you realize, or you subconsciously or or consciously pick up things from your your role models early on, and you decide then and there that you are going to do this whenever you get the opportunity. For me, it was. Um, watching people's civil liberties being, being taken away in Nigeria when I grew up in a military dictatorship and I decided that I was going to make a platform that allowed to allowed other people that were less privileged have more opportunity. I'm very curious to see if during your childhood when you, you saw your mom go from country to country, city to city, and have to struggle to just make ends meet, did you come to some sort of conclusion that you will decide something for your future back then? No, you know, I, I really didn't. I mean, I was, uh, it's actually funny because now I've written a lot of books on awareness and, and being the person that uses your eyes as an opportunity to, you know, input pretty much uh, all of what's happening in life. Mm -hmm. 
But but I think there were two key moments in my mom's life that really led me to learning something. The first one was her her tenacious drive to come to America. I mean, we were in France for about 11 years total. Every single uh, six months, she would literally get on the subway for two hours, walk for an hour, only go to the embassy for an opportunity to try to get a visa. And she would get rejected every six months for 10 and a half years. And, and seeing someone on the dot with so much perseverance, despite finding similar odds and despite being told by everyone that it's not happening, it's not going to happen, just get your hopes out of it, it's stupid, and so on and so forth, was that determination was something that rubbed off on me very young. You know, I watched someone just never give up on something they truly believed in that was greater than themselves. And so I learned that, I think, very early from my mom. And then the second piece, which kind of speaks back to what you said, is when I was very, very young, uh, I was in a, like in Iran. I don't have many memories of Iran because I was very young, but I do remember a few things. And one of the instances that always sticks with me, it hasn't traumatized me, but it kind of stays there as a reminder is that when I was very young, I watched, uh, like a, one of these airplanes drop a, uh, some kind of missile on, on the town I was living in. And there was a really big skyscraper next to where I was hiding in the basement with my family. And that skyscraper pretty much was gone, you know, like meaning was crumbled uh, after they, they shot their missile down. Well, what ended up happening at that point is that you couldn't hear anything in the streets, right? You, you could only hear like you, you thought you were in a silent movie. And I used to think it's because, you know, something happened. So people were obviously not screaming anymore because they were probably dead. But reality was it was because I was deaf from the blast, right? right. Like I couldn't hear anything for like five minutes and I couldn't see anything. That's why I couldn't understand what was happening, you know, because it was so loud. And when the noise comes back, you realize that people didn't stop screaming, right? Like, so that, that chaos is still happening. One of the, the reasons or one of the things that kind of drives me in life is always to know that if I was able to escape that, and yet so many people today live that reality in the Middle East and in many other countries in the world where they face oppression, war, and everything in between, there, there had to be a greater meaning to my ability to escape that, meaning there had to be greater meaning to my mom making these sacrifices to get us out of there. And so, you know, I never take my life for granted or the time I have for granted where I make sure that the time I have is not only enjoyed, but it's also used in a manner that that does uh, give value to the sacrifice and to those who do not have the same opportunities I have today. Yeah, no, no, that's that's so interesting. I love that you brought that up just, just because, I, you know, I think a lot of us have when we come to that point of awareness, there's something that we realize about our unique gifts that we can do to contribute to the larger, uh, larger sense of humanity. And I think once we get to that point and we figure out what our purpose is, something amazing happens. Um, and, uh, you couple that with tenacity, um, you become almost unstoppable. And speaking of becoming almost unstoppable, you, you are someone that did that with banking without any formal education. Very curious to understand what made you think that you could succeed in that industry. Well, I didn't think I could succeed in any industry. I think that's the bigger, bigger mistake that people make in life is that they, they expect or go into something with an expectation of what should happen. You know, they, they go to work somewhere with an expectation that they should be CEO and so on and so forth. For me, I never looked at my life that way. I, did, I didn't have an opportunity to work, right? So very early on, you know, at 14, I was begging for work at McDonald's, even willing to clean toilets. Nobody would let me because I wasn't allowed to work. So. I had to find a way around it. And when I was 14, 
I figured out a loophole using a school permit to getting a job as a telemarketer. Uh, there, I, I learned a lot about sales, customer service, leadership, and, and quickly promoted and got myself promoted all the way to director of that company by the age of 18. I had a lot of experience as a result of that. And, you know, when I became a telemarketer, I didn't think like, oh, do I have a career here? How do I move up? I didn't do that. I focused on the present. You know, my job was always to be a telemarketer at that place at, when I started. And so, therefore, I became the best telemarketer that place ever had. And I looked at everything I do in life, not as to what I'm doing, but rather the commitment I'm willing to make to it. And so being a telemarketer may seem stupid to many, but I took it seriously and I turned my $12 an hour job into $2,500 a week in commission. And, you know, and into four promotions that led me to, you know, the director of the company. And then when I looked into getting in banking, I simply looked to transition to a job that was less hours and somewhat of similar pay. I didn't really care if it was banking or not, you know. And an opportunity came to get in banking, and it was a comparable, just a, a small salary cut, but nonetheless comparable in nature to what I was doing. And it seemed far-fetched that uh, an 18-year-old could be a bank manager or something in bank management. But, you know, I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as I was an 18-year-old with uh, experience leading three offices for a remodeling company, doing sales, doing customer service, understanding sales mechanics and being able to sell on the phone and in person. And I looked at a bank and I said, what's your number one purpose? Well, it's to sell new accounts, loans, and everything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I aligned my capacity and talent to the objective of what the bank needed and convinced two people during an interview that I had such talents, not by telling them, but by showing them. And so as a result of that, you know, I got an opportunity to get in banking. And when I got in banking, I didn't look at it as, oh, I wonder how quickly I can get promoted. I just focused on being the best at my job. Like I was the, the best bank manager they ever had. I, I hit all my goals and I did much more. I trained people and quickly word spread, right? And every time a new opportunity came, I, I didn't have to even apply for it. It was kind of like in a way given to me, if that makes sense, because I was the best position candidate for it. So, so I think, you know, I would say life isn't about what you do, but rather how well you do it. And so if you really don't know what you want to be doing, the question really remains, you know, how are you willing to commit to whatever you choose? Being the best at the job you're doing will provide opportunities. That's a, that's a very interesting mindset. And, and the reason why, you know, I say that is because sometimes I get, I imagine you get asked this question a lot. I don't know what my passion is. How can I figure that out? I mean, passion in itself, look, what, if people are curious about what is passion, like how do I find my passion? Well, passion is an extension uh, of love, right? So it's an, it's like saying like, okay, if I like something and I'm talented at it, right? I tend to, I tend to love it because I become good at it. So it fuels my confidence. When, when that, that confidence gets fueled, I become talented at it. And that, and that love evolves into passion. So, so there's a systematic equation to where passion comes from. What I'm saying is outside of passion, I think too many people think of their life in a one to one ratio, meaning I, I have to build a business. That's the only way I'm going to succeed, right? Or I have to find my passion. That's the only way I'm going to be able to build a business. But that's not how life works. Sometimes, you know, life doesn't start at zero and end at 100. Sometimes life starts at negative 100. And you have to figure out how to get to the zero line. You know, that's something I break down in my new book, Radius. But I talk about, you know, the idea that most people think of life in a zero to 100. But you have to look at life as we all have a different circumstance. We all start in different places. And sometimes the journey to the starting line is 10 times harder than the journey from the start line to the finish line. And so, you know, people need to start looking at that and saying, okay, if I don't know my passion today, sitting around the house and not doing anything isn't going to lead me to finding my passion. 
Now, either A, I need to go and go to work because at least I'd rather make some money than no money, right? Or B, I know kind of what to make money on, so I'm going to do that. But, you know, for me growing up, I didn't have money. So it was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I didn't know my passion until I was like 25 years old. But what I did know was that I needed money. And so the point was I could either sit around and say, I wonder what I want to do to make some money or I can just go make money. And making money is very simple. It's like you can get a job. And yeah, it's not, it's not ideal. Like it's not convenient in today's game, in today's age. It's not like exciting to be like, I work at the local grocery store bagging stuff, right? Or I work at McDonald's cleaning the floors. But if I had a choice between making no money and sitting around or, or going and cleaning the floors 10 hours a day, well, if I have nothing else to do, I'd rather make 50 bucks and no money. So, so to me, you know, I've always looked at life as, Instead of worrying about what hasn't happened or I can't do, what can I do right now to change my situation, to make it better, even if it's 1% better? Because by doing that and by focusing, if you don't have a better plan, focus on the today plan. And, and that's, that's, I think, the biggest takeaway from this is if you're working as a cashier in a grocery store and you hate it and you know it's not your career, that's fine. Like not, not, you're not destined to be a cashier, but at that moment, you have a choice. Either A, you walk out of the store and you have a better job lined up and you go do it. Or B, while you're seeking a better job or while you believe you're entitled to a better opportunity or whatever else you're going to go do, you still have a job to do at that moment. And so make your 10 hours that day count to making your customers happy by bagging their groceries better. B, by being incredibly amazing to the people you work with. And C, by delivering on the value you've accepted to earn a paycheck from. Because what ends up happening is while you don't find passion in what you're doing today, which is bagging groceries, you may still actually be offered an opportunity for advancement in that same place as a result of doing great work before you're able to find a job elsewhere, following your dreams and all that crap, right? So, and you never know that you might find passion in some of the skills you learn in further positions in that place, which would have never been open to you should you have not done a good job. No, love it. Love it. Thanks for sharing. That's, uh, that's actually, I concur with every single word. You, you mentioned something there. You said you didn't figure out your passion until you were 25. Was the age of 25 the time you decided to uh, leave banking? Well, no, I, didn't, I never decided to leave banking, right? So, like, I believe banking was my purpose. Why? Because I was very good at it. You know, it was a misunderstanding what, where talent and purpose meet, right? So, so I was talented in leadership and I thought I was talented in banking. So those were two different things. And at the time I wasn't very analytical. So I, I think when I was, when I was in my 23 years of age, I reached the peak of my career where I had advanced faster than anybody else had ever done so in the United States, uh, in, in a similar, you know, retail position in a bank. So what ended up happening is after I got there, uh, the big thing was I kind of stopped caring, meaning, I started thinking I was so good at what I was doing that I no longer needed to apply this philosophy of being the best, right? So I kind of allowed myself to kind of allow, allow myself to not improve anymore in my position. And as a result of that, what happened is I let my guard down. And by letting my guard down, I pretty much fired myself, if that makes sense. So at 25, when I'm forced to resign, I, it wasn't that the bank took away my money or my income, because even if they, even when that happened, I was already very well off, meaning I wasn't poor when I was fired. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I had money, right? So I wasn't like, oh my God, what am I going to do for work? 
the problem was that they took away my purpose, you know, because I thought I was meant to be a banker forever. And I thought I was really good at it. So I said, well, this is what I'm going to end up doing for the next 50 years, you know. And, and re I didn't think I would do it in that bank, but I thought that's what my job would be for the next 50 years. You know, I would facilitate financial transactions for people. This is where my talent lied and where I had had a lot of success very quickly. So that's where I thought I was going. But when they, they took that away from me, they took away my opportunity to follow down that path. And so what ended up happening is during that time, it gave me a lot of time to self-reflect and really actually accept the fact that it wasn't them that fired me, but it was really me that fired myself because I stopped caring. And so by doing that, I was able to shift the, this idea of being a victim of someone else controlling your destiny into accepting that I had lost interest quite a while ago. And I was just hanging on to this idea of a well-paid salary. And so, you know, when I did that, I started considering the fact that what do I want my life to look like for the next 10, 15, 20 years? And so I started thinking it wasn't even about small business ownership. It wasn't about, you know, entrepreneurship and all that stuff. It was just about the idea that what did I want it to look like? And so the first problem I had is that, yes, I had lost an income. And while I had money, I didn't want to lose an income that large. So I had to come up with something. So, you know, I went ahead and founded two companies, VIP Motoring and Secret Consulting. And so I started these two companies not in the means of following my passion or purpose or anything else, but just to make money because the point of a business is to make revenue. So I created these companies and I said, you know what, we're going to, I'm going to start. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Making money on this, and at the very least, I'll figure out what I want to do as I go, you know? Because just like I said, it's better to do this than nothing, you know? And, and I did that. And I, when I built those two companies, I allowed it to carry on for a few years before I kind of identified my talent. And, and I really went deeper into like myself and said, what am I, what is the core, uh, commonality? All of my businesses, all of my success in corporate America, all of my success as a young man have ever had. Like, where do I, where does the success come from? And it ended up being teaching. I realized that teaching was actually the, Leadership style was the common ground for everything I did. I was teaching my customers when I was selling the style of selling. I was teaching in the way I was explaining things to employees and I was teaching them to be better. That's how I got great people to follow me. So over and over, I saw this pattern. And so I decided if my talent is teaching, then how can I pick a vehicle to take that talent to people? So therefore allowing my passion to come to life. And so I used my business experience to go ahead and meet with this talent I had and came the birth of Secret Entourage and the idea that how do we teach millions of people instead of 300 people a year that I interact with. 
Oh, wow. And, and Secret Entourage is where? Where can they find out the website? Well, Secret Entourage is secretentourage.com, and it's simply a, a community of 300-plus incredible people that are brought together uh, to help teach business, economics, leadership, and everything in between uh, to people who ne- couldn't necessarily afford a formal education or people who seek to become better in business and entrepreneurship and would like to learn from people who have had uh, who are accredited and have had track records uh, that have actually been verified and not just people who are marketers online, you know, pretending to have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. And for those listening, Secret Entourage has well over 2 million visitors a month and over 1 million social media followers. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that Pejman talked about today, you know, when he's highlighting some of his uh, his experiences, I can imagine they're going to be expounded by a lot more and in more detail, you know, especially if you feel like you're 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 still at the precipice of something you're not quite sure how to define it or you just are looking for an alternative to to some of the traditional schooling methods that you may have had before. So uh, secretentourage.com would definitely be in the show notes. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing about that. The, the other thing that you, you've done and the thing that I liked about your career is that it's so multifaceted and you, you did touch on the fact that you're a teacher, So, but you teach in many, many platforms, online, offline, and also uh, through books. You know, you've written... I think at least 10 books, uh, I believe. I've written 11 books, uh, two of which were very important. The rest were kind of like practice runs, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, can you, <laughs> I consider can, them can, that can, way, you know? Can you talk about the, the difference? Why do you think two are important and one is a practice and the rest were practice runs? Yeah. You know, when we started Secret Entourage, my goal was never to make money with Secret. It was to find a way to teach people, right? And so I, I think that the best thing with Secret was that its its integrity for what it was has never changed even to date. And today, you know, it, it's, it makes a lot of money, but it's not a company that I use from a revenue standpoint to help my own life. I rather allow it to impact the lives of kids in low to moderate income communities who need education uh, and don't have the means to follow through with it after school activities. So there's a lot of uh, uh, philanthropy that goes through Secret Entourage and what it stands for. But if you think about, you know, the idea of, uh, of books, I've never read a book in my life because it was very boring to me. I didn't enjoy reading. Uh, but, and I didn't do well in school because I never thought that the topics covered were ever relevant to the success we have in the real world. So when I started writing, I was writing about from experience always. And I, and I'm not, I wasn't a good writer because I never read books. So I didn't have context to write. And, and what happened is I wrote a lot of books on finance, economics, and things that I assumed people wanted to know about, you know? So, so how to be better money managers and so on and so forth. Things that matter, but, but yet I don't think I was sharing anything new with people, you know? I wasn't sharing anything that was unique. It was just rather good information and shared in a manner that made it understandable. But it wasn't a breakthrough in how people thought or shifted. And, and honestly, there wasn't a lot of value in the way I was writing either because I didn't have experience writing. And so my books sold, but they didn't sell that well. And so over time, you know, as I wrote, I think it was like my ninth book, I came up with this concept and I said, well, all of these books are great, but they're not life-changing. So so I decided, I said, well, why is Secret Entourage life-changing? Like, why is it that I'm able to change the lives of people I touch on a one-on-one basis so much easier than I can online, you know? And I realized that it was because every time I was teaching them, I was teaching through this lens. And it was what I called the third circle lens, which is that the world revolves around three basic circles, which is the mastery of circumstance, the mastery of society and the mastery of life. 
and that the faster we're able to disconnect and understand that these three circles are separate circles that every one of us go through, the faster we're able to identify a roadmap on how to progress through the circles. And so, you know, someone who hasn't found uh, success in society rarely finds success in life. Someone who has not been able to overcome the circumstance rarely finds success in society. So the point was, it was almost like a map of progression. And when I would coach people in person, it would make it so much easier to explain to them where they are and where they're going. And I realized that I had invented this system over a decade of, of coaching people, you know, between my banking career and my personal businesses and so on and so forth. And I said, well, this is an interesting concept. Why don't I put it in a book? And came the birth of the rhetorical theory, a unique concept that was built on finding your purpose based on observation. And so, you know, having that and, and putting that information out, um, the book in itself, its message, its content became very like powerful for people. And, and the feedback was so strong that the book almost found virality on its own and made it to now close to 350,000 copies. So, you know, uh, that was where the success came from as a, as a book author is, you know, what is the purpose of a book that no one's reading, right? So, so the success of a book comes from how many units you can get in front of people because that's how many lives you're impacting. And so, you know, having put so many units out of third circle theory, uh, that's where, you know, I found and finally understood the, the dynamics of how books, uh, become popular and also what's important in a book and what's not. And so that gave birth to, you know, after three years of, of allowing Third Circle to become what it was and to spend about a year or so writing its sequel. I finally, next week, I'm releasing Radius, uh, which is the sequel to Third Circle Theory. And Radius stands for Reaching Across Different Industries, Uncovering Solutions. And it's considered a universal language of business. Wow. Um, can you say that again? Reaching Across, what? So the, the acronym for RADIUS, because the first book was called Third Circle, so the second one is called RADIUS and stands for Reaching Across Different Industries, Uncovering Solutions. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I got a copy of it from uh, um, a mutual friend of ours, German, uh, and I was reading part of uh, the book yesterday before I went to bed, or this morning rather, because I'm always up. And the, the interesting subtitle that you, uh, that you shared with, with me was you talked about succeeding across different industries. I was wondering why you felt like that was something you wanted to add that to the title. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the point is that the point of a business is that it's like a child, right? The point of a business is not to buy yourself a job. Like, Hey, I, I own this business. I can pay myself 200 K a year. The point of a business is to build almost an entity of its own, something that can function with or without you that has life and that changes lives on its own. And so I think too many people, uh, don't understand the path a business has. Like uh, the, the point of a business is to go from an idea to a product uh, or a service, whatever that is, and then into a business, from a business to a brand and a brand into an empire. It, that is the progression of a business. No different than someone would tell you that you start in kindergarten, you know, you go to middle school, high school, whatever, and, and you progress, right? That, because that progression is there in the real world, we understand the direction we need to take. But, but the problem is there are so many directions a business takes that the people lose themselves in the translation and often, you know, misunderstand the point as soon as their business starts making money. So, so they don't understand if they're at the beginning, in the middle or at the end of a journey. And so with Radius, I've been able to use a universal equation that I've always used for every single business I've created and every single person that I've helped create a business that ultimately A, tells them at any given stage uh, of, of the cycle of a business uh, how effective they are at what they do and how likely they are to progress to the next one. And so, you know, the point of radius 
is to help ultimately, I call it the universal language business, because no matter what industry you're in, no matter what business you run, you can literally plug and play into, into the models and the, and the concepts I teach in the book and realize if you are indeed on the right track, uh, what's missing and where you need to get to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for those listening, you know, as he described, Radius is is basically, you know, a playbook, but it's also how visionary, uh, visionaries engineer empires. You know, when I was reading an article about why you wrote Radius, my favorite thing that you said was it's very important to understand that pushing our limitations starts within our minds. It is no mm-hmm. different than finding our purpose. And that purposeful feeling in itself can be the necessary catalyst to creating it, uh, the break from those limitations set in us by our upbringing or institution. That's essentially mm-hmm. a society that we live in. Uh, and as we're getting ready to wrap up here, there are several themes that I'm picking up on is, is that you haven't let society define you in any circumstance, whether you're a kid or whether it is banking or whether it is, um, you know, with your three businesses and with your books. And obviously that's something that your mom did as well. Do you, as you look at the world right now, you know, the world in this global village, this digital um, uh, digital uh, platforms that keep popping up every day and you look at the generations to come. What do you think the generation Y and generation Z can do to further differentiate themselves given the, um, you know, the climate of the world that we live in today with digital platforms? Well, I mean, I think, I think that our generations now are, have more capacity than ever before, right? Because they have access to information that's free and that's flowing on a constant basis. Uh, and, and I think that's the advantage they have that they're not leveraging right now or they're leveraging too much, right? Some people are, are learning too much and not applying enough and some people aren't learning enough, you know? So, so ultimately I think they have the capacity to do that, but I also think business is adaptive. And I think too many people today are focused so much on what should be the business I get into. Should I be online? Should I be on an app? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I think people miss the point. That, that it's not about what you do, it's about how well you're committed to doing it. So, so the question isn't, should you be in an online business in 2018, 2019, and 2020? The question becomes, are you willing to be in an online business for three years because you truly want to be, not because you think there's money in it? And, and if that's the case, then you'll figure out a way to make money within that business, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think I think a, a lot of young people don't do a good job differentiating the two. And then the, the other part that you speak about society, society is nothing more than a guideline. Like, like you have to think of it as uh, a sphere within, like, if you think the earth is life, for example, then each sub-society, each country has its sphere, which is ultimately this bubble you live in because you're taught to grow up in it and to be a productive piece of the machine, right? And, and that's okay. You can't reject that. And that's the first mistake millennials and young people make is they reject society. They're like, oh, a degree is shit. Oh, I don't want a job. It's garbage. You know, like, which is not true. Like, like, look, degrees are not the best. You know, obviously college is outdated. We know that. It's nothing new. And, and we know that getting a job is not going to make you a millionaire. But it doesn't mean it's bad. You know, like what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that it's either good or bad. There is still plenty of good in holding a job. And there's still a great opportunity by having a job to bridge your gap between your lack of money and starting a business. So people, I think, in our generation need to stop thinking so close minded in this one to one perspective that, oh, this guy made it this way. So I'm going to make it this way. And I think this is the problem is that, you know, I, I say this a lot to people. Ten years ago, you would compare yourself to your neighbor. 
or let's say 20 years ago, you would look at your neighbor and you would be like, oh, you've got a new car, you've got a new house, you're 40 years old, I'm 35, okay, maybe I need to step up my game, you know, because we're living in the same neighborhood and obviously you're more than me. And that was your context for reference of like comparing yourself, which is the wrong thing to do, but that's what people would do. Today, with the internet, you have the ability to compare yourself to thousands of people across the globe, across different industries, just based on age, based on business and everything in between. And, and on top of that, you don't actually get to compare to them because of the reality. You get to compare to what you're showing to what they're showing. So the context of competition has changed so much that people are getting lost in this idea of keeping up with something that's not real. If more people focused on being the best versions of themselves every day, they would see that even if they progressed 1% a day, at the end of the year, they would have progressed 365%, which is significantly higher than 99.9% of the population. But because people are saying, oh, I'm late, I got to work faster, they're not working to become talented or better at what they do. They're just trying to mimic what other people are doing and as a result find massive failure because the money doesn't come fast enough. Yeah, yeah. Stop living life based on a one-to-one ratio. Uh, I love that. Um, and don't keep up with the, you know, you, when you say keeping up with stuff, I was thinking of keeping up with the Kardashians. That's actually in the name. Um, and I was thinking of how that subconsciously can actually impact many people where they feel like, well, they have to keep up with, um, yeah, but I mean, think about it, like perceived reality. Yeah. Who cares what that guy did on the internet? Like, like, how's that relevant to you? You know, like you're starting from a different baseline. You don't have the same amount of money. You don't have the same skills and talents. Why does it matter if someone at 25 built a billion dollar business and you're 40 and you haven't, you know, like what, what difference does that make in your life to know someone else at 25 did it? The only thing you need to take away from that is that it's possible and not look at it as you're behind. You need to look at it as, look, that guy did it in five years. It's a possibility. No, 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 well, no, no. I definitely, definitely agree with you on that. I, I just, I just thought it was so interesting. The, you know, you literally said keeping up and I was like, oh my goodness, that's actually in the name and people, you know, people at E and all these entertainment platforms will will make that an addictive thing for you to keep up with by putting that in the name. And you're like, oh, I'm just yeah. watching it. And you're like, whoa, I have been keeping up with them for seven years and comparing myself and trying to make sure my Instagram looks like that. And I didn't even realize I was doing that. So it, it's, it's, it's an interesting point about awareness, which is something that you focus on a lot, is we have to be aware of what we're doing and make sure that we understand that we're not like everybody else and that we just have to start from our own, own start line and get to our finish yep. line. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. So as, as we wrap up here, I want to ask a few, uh, uh, you know, maybe a couple, two questions here. Uh, and one of those is your background. Do you feel like, do you ever feel like you, you have different cultural roots? Do you feel like you have to code switch? Sometimes you go home, it's Iranian home, you go home, it's French or, or you're American here. Or do you feel like you've just formed a mix of all the identities and that's the identity that you're now comfortable with? No, I, I, it's not that way. I mean, I look at my, uh, I look at my entire life now as just life in general. So I think I was very lucky to have a mother who did not, uh, spend time raising me one way versus another. Mm. Uh, so, so I, it, I never have that culture kind of issue. I do have a very high sensitivity to understanding cultures. So I'm very, aware of how people act and why their society has made them into who they are. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's what gives me a competitive advantage as a teacher is because I understand why 
people form their belief systems the way they do. Mm. So I don't ever have a clash with a culture, even though uh, I may not agree with all cultures, if that makes sense. It's the idea that uh, people aren't inherently good or people aren't inherently bad. They're just shaped by the societies they've been lived in, they've been molded in. Well, well, people are shaped by the environments that they've grown up into, right? Yep. So, so, so the question is not necessarily like, why are they messed up? The question is, are they willing to change? Yeah, yeah, no, love that. I, I was just listening to Osama Minaj, who's uh, uh, an Indian American comedian, and he had mentioned something like that as well, because uh, he grew up Muslim in America, but he's American. Um, uh, th- that was always that always fascinates me. And the last question is the mission statement of this podcast. Um, my mission statement is is you know is use your difference to make a difference. That's the umbrella I use every one of my platforms to help influence the next set of global leaders. So I always ask my guests, uh, my guests rather, at the close of the interview how they are using their differences to make a difference. So, uh, PJ, so I, I wouldn't mispronounce your name. How do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, I mean, today, you know, I, I try to do as much as I can providing mentorship and education to as many people as I can through these platforms I've created. Uh, like I said, I, I think once I figured out what my talent was, I've done a very good job in the last five years making sure that that talent is has a lot of vehicles to reach people. So that that's where I make a difference is by offering teachings that are accessible and that ultimately provide anyone with an opportunity to no longer use an excuse that they don't have access to it as a reason why they're not successful. Yeah, no, that's a good way. I mean, you're teaching, you provide an opportunity and you're leveraging your, your talents in, in the best way possible. Where can people find out more about you and um, your upcoming book? Sure. So to, to pick up Third Circle Theory, you go to thirdcirclebook.com. You can pick it up on Amazon or anywhere else. I highly recommend people read that first. My latest book, Radius, which is coming out in a week, is going to be available at powerofradius.com. Uh, and that's uh, you can definitely find it there. But again, uh, to anyone that's interested in learning or becoming a better entrepreneur or learning business and entrepreneurship, you can find me in the Secret Entourage Academy at secretentourage.com. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Pejman Gadimi has been uh, hanging out with us for the last 40 minutes or so. It's been a pleasure really talking to you and hearing your story. So thank you for coming on. And I really, really uh, appreciate your, your humility and uh, your, your, um, your authenticity throughout your story. So thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia 
gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.